Welcome to Down to Wander with your host, Carrie Nelson, full-time traveler, life coach, former therapist, and all-around curious person. Are you down to wander with me? Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. In this episode, I continue my chat from last week with Stephanie. We picked up right where we left off last week when Stephanie was sharing that she would never, ever marry Derek. In today's episode, Stephanie shares more about her love-hate love story with Derek, as well as the unraveling of their connection with the Mormon Church. This podcast is sponsored by me and my business, Wandering Soul Life Coaching, where I provide both individual and couples coaching sessions. If you're struggling with connection, I can help. Sign up for your free consultation at wanderingsoullifecoaching.com. Thanks for listening. And we kept being in places at the same time. And the more I was around Derek, the more I was like, oh, well, if I have to get married, I want to marry someone like Derek, but never, ever Derek. Somebody got brave enough and the girls cornered me at church. This is going to sound really awful, but they're like, Stephanie, you have got to stop flirting. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? You're so flirty and you're so loud that all the boys pay attention to you and nobody, nobody will date us because of you. And I was like floored. And of course I believed them. Like, oh, it's my fault. These girls can't go on dates. They're not getting married now. And it's my fault. And I remember like sitting around with my authentic friends. It's a bunch of guy friends and Derek's there and I'm the only girl. I was asking, I was like, Hey guys, I need some like real feedback here. Am I a big flirt? And they all laugh and they start teasing me. Okay, Stephanie, you're a flirt, but that's not your fault. Like these girls have got to talk too. like, you know, they're making me feel better. You know, so that conversation happened in front of Derek. And then I broke it off with the guy I was seeing and it was the Spider-Man three premiere with Tobey Maguire. Remember that one way back <laughs> a long time ago. And I was supposed to go with the guy that I broke it off with, but I was trying to like, just stay away from him. And I was like, no, I called like 10 different people to get Derek's phone number. And, but I didn't like him. Right. (laughs) I can never admit that I liked him. I invited him to come with me and some other people to this premiere. And so my apartment with my roommate, we had like, like a really comfortable hangout place. Like people were always over. I was always organizing things. I'm a very social person. So Derek comes over and we're all hanging out, but suddenly it's just the two of us alone. Like people leave to get food or something and we're going to meet them at the theater and we're alone in the room. And Derek looks at me and I don't know where he goes, you know, you really are a big flirt. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't care. And he goes, but you know, you flirt differently with me than you do everybody else. And I laughed. I was like, what? Oh, I was like, you think I have a crush on you? He goes, no. I know you have a crush on me. And I was speechless. I didn't know what to say to that. Like I was not ready for that response. And I think you've known me, you know, in our long friendship for three hours. (laughs) Now that I'm not a very quiet person. Like I, I tend to talk a lot, but I was speechless the rest of the night. And I didn't have enough gas in my car to get to the movies. I had to ride to the movies with him. I tried to sit away from him. He sat beside me. He put his hand on my shoulder. He touched me. That was a huge (laughs) no-no. He drove me home from the movies. I didn't talk this whole time. He walks me to my front door. I'm thinking, how do I tell him that I'm not interested in him? Like, how do I say no? He gives me this really awkward hug where I was like, you know, tensing. I was like tapping, you know, (laughs) like, and he goes, I think we should hang out sometime. I like you. (laughs) And I was laughing in my head like, yeah, right, buddy, in your dreams. I said that in my head. (laughs) my mouth comes I'm free Saturday (laughs) I wasn't free I have plans so so I went and I told my roommate what's happening my roommate really liked Derek Derek could play the guitar he was smart he he really intellectually I I was obviously very attracted to him and and I'm more attracted to him than I've ever been with anybody in my entire life we had like this chemistry from day one even like in that moment we were sparring you know he gave me the tingles. And so my roommate's like, you have to go out with him. And I was like, yeah, I do. He probably doesn't ever get any dates. I really need to be nice. So I canceled all my plans on Saturday. And we went on a date and we came home and like, 
we chatted all night and I, I actually felt comfortable because I, I kept my, my sexual sins a secret. And I use that in quotation marks because I don't see them as sins now. I told him everything. I was like, look, you need to know this about me. And I thought this is going to really scare him off. And it took me, he's like, so? And I was like, what do you mean? So he, he, Derek had been on a mission. He was a virgin. He was like the epitome of everything that men are supposed to be in the Mormon church. And I just told him that I am dirty and worthless. And he's like, I don't care. He's like, if God doesn't judge you for that, why should I? And I mean, that was really amazing to me. And then, you know, he went home that night and I was processing a lot of feelings, you know, and he called me the next day and he's like, Stephanie, I need you to know something. It's really important to me to tell you this. He's like, I want you to know that I'm never going to put you in a position to compromise your integrity. And he's like, it has nothing to do with church. He's like, yeah, that's important to me. He's like, but you need to know. I am never, ever going to take advantage of you or hurt you in any way. And nobody had ever said that to me. And I don't know why he felt like it was so important to be that specific about how I'm not going to rape you. I'm not going to try to have sex with you. I'm not going to force myself on you. I just want you to know that I really respect you. It meant a lot. So he came over every single night for one week and every single night for two weeks. Derek was working three jobs. He lived 45 minutes away and he was going to school full time. How does that math add up? I don't know, but he did it. He would show up at my house every single night and I would talk to him all the way home so he wouldn't fall asleep in the car. Um, he ended up quitting one of his jobs because he discovered he could only juggle me in three jobs and going to school full time. But um, I would not tell anybody we were dating because everybody had seen the way I act around Derek. Like I had always said, I don't like Derek to everybody. Like I, I didn't like Derek. I didn't want to admit that. Like I kept trying to break up with Derek, but Derek kept coming back. <laughs> like, I remember one night we were talking on the phone late and I was like, I was trying to break up with these. Like, you know, Stephanie, this, there's something really special here. And I just feel like no matter what happens, we're always going to regret it. if We don't keep exploring it. And I, was, I laughed and I said, listen, God's not going to punish you because I reject you. Like if I decide this is not what I want, God's going to give you someone better than me. Doesn't that make you happy? And he's like, but there isn't anybody better than you. <laughs> he was so good at that. <laughs> he still is. <laughs> so my roommate was the only one who knew who we were dating. And a couple of their friends, Derek and I had been dating for three weeks. And he comes over one night and it's, you see all these things. They're really hard to process because somebody's seeing worth in me that's not supposed to be there, you know? And I'm, I'm supposed to live in this eternal, like, purgatory on earth to justify, like, all this abuse that I've been through and to, like, repay God for whatever this terrible thing I was that deserved this abuse. And so I was very aware of how uncomfortable I felt with how good I felt around Eric. And I was very aware that, like, he was touching on all the things that probably should be touched on, you know? So three weeks in, I'm trying to break up with Derek and um, he gets the, he gets the idea, but I can't say the words. And I don't remember how he expressed it, but I realized he got it. I said, okay, so you know what's going on. So I want you just go ahead and leave. He's like, no, because we were both really religious. He's like, why don't we pray about this first? And if God tells us no, then I'll leave. And I agreed to that. And when I say it like this, it, it sounds like I didn't consent to him being around, but that wasn't the case at all. Like I did want him around. And if I had really, if no meant no, Derek would have left, but it, it didn't really mean no. It was just me trying to, to process all of this. And I really wanted to do ultimately at the end of the day, 
my number one goal was doing whatever I felt God wanted me to do. And, you know, I was trained that I was supposed to get ready to have kids. So I really wanted to do that, even though outwardly I didn't want to do that. Like I was in, you know, this duality of identity there. But um, so Derek and I got on our knees and, you know, in his prayer, he's like asking God, like, should Stephanie and I continue dating? Is there more that we need to learn from each other? But we had this experience. Both of us did simultaneously. The room was on fire. And I I can't describe it now. Like even taking away the religious context, there, we had this shared experience that was very powerful. And when it was over, Derek looked at me and I looked at him and I nodded my head and he nodded his head and he said, so I guess we're getting married, huh? And I said, yeah, I guess so. And so we got married two months later <laughs> and we've been married for 14 and a half years. Um, at the time, you know, I thought it was divine intervention and, you know, maybe, maybe it was, but what I really think it was, I think both of us, you know, now that I know Derek's background and like what he was going through at the time, we both needed a change. We both needed what the other person had to offer. And I think subconsciously we could feel that we were going to get that need met from that other person. And I, I think we were just willing to risk it to get out of this, the circles we were in, like the cycles. So we did it. We got married two months later. I got goosebumps. I haven't met Derek yet, but he's also going to come on the podcast and talk about his story. So I'm excited. I will now have like three pairs of podcast episodes that are related. I had my cousin and his wife. I had a friend and her soon-to-be ex-wife. And now I'll have you and Derek. It's very exciting. So I will get to, I'm like now super excited to hear like, what was that like for him? Because it sounds in a way, it sounds like a little Steve Urkel-ish, you know, from like Family Matters. Like, I'm going to wear you down. Like, I'm, I'm going to wear you down. So it'll be interesting to hear his side of things. And I think he just knew. He knew I was feeling what he was feeling. And he knew that I was uncomfortable with commitment. And I think he just knew that I, I would never come out and say it. I would talk around it and I would imply it. And if he had gotten it and left, I would be like, okay, fine. I would have been sad though. But I think as long as I wasn't going to say it, he was going to pretend like it wasn't happening. And I also told him before that, I was like, I, I think I might love you. So I was definitely giving him the comeback vibe. It wasn't like it was all, I, I probably left that out a little bit. I didn't mean to, <laughs> but like, I was definitely like giving him signals to come back, you know? So uh, we got married and I um, got a new family <laughs> and a new job title. So now I'm a wife. Derek had these very ambitious goals. He wanted to finish his degree. He was going to go to, to Brigham University and study Chinese and go into international law. And I was like, that's great. I'll support you. I'll work full time. You go to school full time. I want to go to school eventually because I'm going to save the world. <laughs> like, I'm going to become a therapist and I'm going to help women at risk. So you go ahead and do that. And then when you make all the money, I'll use all that money to help people. <laughs> that was kind of where I was going. That was a bit untraditional because while it is common for Mormon pairs to like get married really quickly, it's also common that people start having babies right away, but neither one of us was comfortable. I was 24, turning 25. He's 23, turning 24. We just met. Like we just started getting to know each other. Neither one of us felt comfortable bringing a child into this yet. And we knew we had a long educational road ahead. His parents, his father was a bishop. And uh, I went from like one abusive family. And I thought I was married into like the perfect Mormon family because they went to church every Sunday. Both of their sons went on missions. The, they were the complete opposite on paper the, of my family. And so I thought, okay, I did it. Like God's rewarding me. I must've, I must've repented, but the abuse from Derek's parents started the day we got married and men started before because at some point they tried to talk Derek out of marrying me. They're like, you know, it's not too late to change your mind. She's not who you think she is kind of thing. My mom did the same thing. 
my mom called Derek and was like, you know, Stephanie's not a virgin, right? She's not a good girl. And Derek's like, I know what I'm doing. I'm a grown up and I'm going to marry her under no false pretenses. Like he basically shut her down immediately. So like I enter, I go from one abusive family to a new abusive family and things get awkward really fast. If we're late for church on Sunday, his parents are complaining that we're making them look bad. We have to set an example. We had no money when we got married and we paid for everything. I think we spent $1,500 on our um, wedding because when you do it with the Mormon church, like all of it's free. It's not free. You're paying 20% of your income. So technically I spent a lot more <laughs> than that on that wedding, but I won't go into that right now, but like we had no food and we had to, Derek's parents paid for the food, but they demanded us to pay them back. And his dad wanted that money right away. And so we gave him our, my entire paycheck. And so all of our gift cards that we got from like our wedding gifts that would have been set on like uh, spent on saying of a household we used for food. We lived on peanut butter and jelly. His parents took all the leftover food from our wedding and put it in their freezer and wouldn't let us have any of it. It was really weird. And I was like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> like, okay, this must be normal. I'm trying to make peace with Derek's family because I was told my job was friend of my mother-in-law. She just lost her son. You know, you took her son away from her. And so you have to give her a daughter she never had. And I was told I had to entertain every, every idea she had. So she started calling me every day. And as our marriage progressed, and this is kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but like the calls got way more intense. Like, you know, after we had kids, it was like, did you bathe them? Did you feed them? So I was, I was towing this line between learning how to be married to this stranger, essentially, learning how to fit into this new family, um, recognizing that like, I don't have a voice in this new family. So what's my role in my relationship? And Derek brings some baggage from his family of origin into our marriage. I certainly have my own baggage. Derek is very loud and his family, they yell. And whoever can yell the loudest gets heard. I can't yell. I wouldn't let myself get angry for years. I've learned in therapy over the past couple of years that anger is healthy and it teaches you what your boundaries are. It teaches you how to teach other people to love you and how to love yourself. But for a long time, I saw anger as toxic and uh, sinful. So Derek would get angry and yell and I would run away. After we would be married a year, we went out to BYU in Provo, Utah, and we lived there. And uh, this one particular day he comes home and he's really angry. He's throwing things around. And uh, he looks at me and he's, he's yelling. He's like, God, why do I have to take you to work? And I was like, oh, you know what? You don't have to. I'll walk. And I walk out the front door and I slam it. And I'm walking down like the main street there by the BYU Marriott Center where they do all the basketball games. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes Derek in our car. He's honking the horn. And he rolls up the way. He's like, Stephanie, get in this car. And I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs, stranger. And everybody's like, nobody's stopping to help. Like nobody, clearly nobody gives a crap. This guy could have been a serial killer and he would have got away with murder that day because nobody was going to help me. He parks the car in the middle of the road. He gets out of the car and starts walking towards me. I am terrified at this point. I run and get in the car and he gets back in the car and he looks at me. He's like, I'm not yelling at you. Like, he's just screaming at me. I'm in tears because he clearly is yelling at me. I don't know what he thinks he's talking about. He like, you know, draws me up at work and he shows back up later. It's really cute. We had no money. You know, we were saving money. We were living on my income entirely. He was going to school full time and he made all these paper cutout flowers. And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't afford to buy you real flowers, but I, I really am sorry that I took out my frustration on you. But like, we'd been in this cycle for a long time of like the way we process these emotions. You know, Derek wasn't allowed to have emotions in his family of origin. I was not allowing myself to have emotions. His came out as anger. It's the only emotion he's sort of feel. He's hungry. He's angry. If he's sad, he's angry. If he's tired, everything's angry for him. For me, 
it's anything but angry. And so that, that created interesting, like dynamic. So I used the church as like an anchor point and I was like, okay, this is how we're going to get this right. Derek, the church says we have to go to the temple every Friday. Okay. We have to have a date night. We have to do all these things. And I, looking back, I can see it now. Like Derek was already pulling away a bit. He had the fortitude of being at BYU, having access to material that we'd never had access to before. Because in the Mormon church, you're not allowed to look at material from other sources. You can only read information published by the church. And if you do, it could be considered as like sympathizing with anti-Mormon literature and you could lose your temple recommend. And the temple recommend is what was necessary for us to get married. So we agreed to all these conditions so we could even get married. And in my mind, that meant that our relationship was predicated upon my adherence to these ideas, right? No tea, coffee, pay 20% of your income, wear the Mormon underwear, stay faithful to your partner, no sex outside of marriage, no sympathizing, talking to, or like entertaining anybody who's critical of the church and no being critical of the church yourself, you know, these very parameters. I had some issues with the temple ceremony. When we got married, I got what's called an endowment and it's supposed to be like this gift from God. It's really this movie you watch about like how the earth was created and uh, Adam and Eve. And it's supposed to make you feel like you've gotten some gift from God. But the very first part about it, you, you go into this room and they've changed the way they've done it over the years. When I went in, I was naked and I had this like cape over me. And these old women took their hands, they dipped it in olive oil and they touched my breast and they touched my navel and they touched right above my vulva and my back, right above my butt, on my knees. And it was without my consent, but apparently I consented by being there again, right? There's a common thread there. I felt violated, right? And then you leave this nakedness and they give you this magic Mormon underwear that's going to protect you from the sins of the world and keep you from dying. And just, you know, there are these amazing things. After I was violated like that, they gave me this cloth to put on and it felt like I had been naked my whole life and suddenly I was clothed. And now knowing, like looking back, I know it's because I was violated and I got to put clothes on again. So it felt like I was protected again. And then in the um, actual endowment part, Derek was there. They've changed this part too, because they had a lot of pushback. But when I went through, you're told women have to agree to be completely obedient and faithful to their husbands. And I remember like, what the fuck? I'm, I, I was looking there and I looked at Derek and I'm like, I don't even know this dude. Like, like what are you talking about? Like, I, you want me to be completely obedient and like made it clear, like, crystal clear that if I wasn't obeying Derek, I'd be cast out of the presence of God forever. Like, it sounded so dramatic and scary and you're supposed to like bow your head and say yes. And, and I was like, I can't lie to God. Like this is, this is eternity. Like I'll burst into flames right here in this very church at the temple. And I bowed my head and said, maybe. <laughs> and I still got through and I remember sitting like, like you have to go through all these like different steps and you get all these special like handshakes that are signs and tokens that get you into heaven and I'm like, I'm never remember all this. And I'm sitting in like the final, like the slusher was supposed to be like being in the presence of God. And I'm sitting with Derek and I was like, oh shit, what did I just agree to? <laughs> like, like, what's going on? And I'm like, I said, maybe. Like, like, and I never, I don't remember if I told Derek that right away, but I remember thinking like, does that invalidate our wedding? Like, like are we really married? Because I said, maybe, and I wouldn't agree. And that wasn't the actual marriage ceremony that happened later. That's kind of funny too. Like when we went to, we were, we got married in the temple in DC. Um, my parents weren't allowed to be in there. Nobody in my family. I had zero support because in order to get married again in the Mormon temple, you have to have all these conditions met and nobody in my family did. And I was really angry with my family because I felt like that meant they didn't love me enough. Now I'm, I place it anger appropriately. The church was isolating me from my family and isolating me from my support. 
on what it's a very difficult day because in the Mormon church, when you get married in the temple, it's for time and eternity. You can get divorced on earth, but you're still married to that person forever. I could divorce Derek and the Mormon church. He can get remarried and he would still have both of those wives forever. Like completely powerless. And I remember like we're, we're across from an altar and we're holding hands and like the officiators, like you're supposed to, you know, do you agree to do this? And he looked at me and I was like, Oh my God. Like Again, you know, it's, it's like three months later. I, I just barely know this guy. And I'm like, okay, God, this is your chance. And I I'm like arguing with myself, like, okay, God, come on. Do you want me to do this? Do you not want me to do this? Should I do this? Should I not do this? And ultimately like, I really thought about that feeling I get around Derek, like that chemistry. And he's the only person I've ever been attracted to. Like he's the only person that stimulated my intellect enough. I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it. Maybe there's a way out if I change my mind. And so I finally said, yes. And you could hear Derek go, (gasps) the whole room takes a breath. Cause I think they thought I was probably, I might say no, because I had waited so long to say yes, but I wanted to be really deliberate about it. So when we were at BYU, it was a perfect chance for me to like, I have all these problems with this. And in the Mormon church, the best way to face your problems with the Mormon church is to be more committed to the Mormon church, right? I don't know how that makes sense, but it did (laughs) for some reason then. So I went and I volunteered in the Mormon church and I was actually performing those same rituals and rites that were performed for me for other people. And I thought the more I did it, the more comfortable I would feel. Now, I didn't have to touch people. I did, would they do proxy work for the dead? So I was in the temple, like laying my hands on women's head and spiritually touching them. And and I'm not kidding. In my mind, I remember thinking like, do I need to envision that body part? So when I bless their bosom and their loins, that they can be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Do I, do I need to like think about their reproductive organs? There are all these levels of, I was taking it way up here. I would raise my hand. We'd have these meetings beforehand. I was like, excuse me, I have a question. And it got to the point where they like, Oh God, Stephanie. So they began to like, Stephanie, could you hold your questions? We'll talk to you privately afterwards. And they actually asked me to stop asking questions in public because it wasn't faith promoting to the other sisters. I started seeing that like, we're doing all this work for the dead, but it was recycled work. We were doing the same temple names over and over and over again. And the people who were there generally thinking they're helping a dead person don't know that these aren't new names. And when I questioned that, that was a huge problem. Stephanie, stop asking questions. Stephanie, what are you doing? You know, you really are at risk of like losing the spirit of the temple by doing this. Oh God, I got to stop. I'm... I'm screwing things up again. So I'm doubling down on the temple stuff. And Derek is having this really interesting engagement with like real church history. And he's learning what's really going on, like behind the organization of the church. He's learning things that I don't get to do because I work full time and I'm, I'm doing this busy work for the church. So there's no time to really investigate it and get deep on it. And so he's pulling away from the church. And I'm getting scared because if he's pulling away from the church, he's going to be pulling away from me too. Right. And I remember telling him like one time I had a friend whose husband refused to ever go back to the temple. And I looked at him and I was like, you know, I could never be married to someone who wasn't Mormon. I could never do that to my children. It's not fair. And he was really quiet. And in the time, like in the moment, like I, I just, you know, I, I put a statement out there. It didn't occur to me that it affected him that way. But I found out like, um, after we moved to Virginia and like, he's really struggling with some stuff then. And I wasn't supportive. I was forcing him to choose between his conscience and like what he was learning and like the best thing for him and his relationship. And he was willing to continue to pretend Mormon for me so that I wouldn't leave him. So I start going to school. I lose my job at Hollywood Video. This company completely closes. I can't get a job in Utah, but I'm on unemployment. And Obama did that great thing where you can collect unemployment while you're going to school full-time like it's a job. So I took advantage of that. And so I started doing classes at Salt Community College in uh, sociology. 
And it's interesting what education does for you, right? Like it changes your capacity for thinking if you want it to. Like if you want to learn how to critically think and if you want to evaluate what's going on like around you, like the education will do that. So I'm doing that. We're moving to Virginia. I'm still going to school full time. Derek is going to law school and we decided to start having a family and I can't get pregnant. And that was really hard because that's a big deal. My whole purpose in this world is to have children for Derek's posterity. As a matter of fact, one of those temple promises is that I will be a priestess to Derek. Like Derek's going to be a God and I get to, I get to be his number one right-hand woman and he'll get all these other women. Sure. Like polygamy is practiced in Mormon heaven, but I'll be number one, <laughs> but that that's dependent upon my ability to provide him progeny. And so like, I have this complete emotional break. I'm going to school full-time. I get a full-time job because I want Derek to focus on his studies. Cause I know that like the key to like my success is going to be his financial support so that I can go to school later. Right. So I'm taking on more and more. And I am really emotionally upset because I feel like I've offended God and God doesn't want me to have children. So that must be something's really wrong with me. Right. And then suddenly like I start losing time. Derek would say, Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie. And I'd snap. And there were these moments where like, he would find me just stay in the kitchen blankly staring and we'd be in the middle of conversation and I would disappear. Like my eyes would glaze over and I was just gone. And I I'm juggling all this in school and I'm emotionally gone. Like somewhere has gone, something's going on. So I decided to get counseling, but in the Mormon church, it's Mormon counseling, which by the way, isn't very effective, <laughs> but it was, it was helpful in the sense that like, it gave me a springboard because I didn't know anything about psychology at this point. So I started seeing a counselor and she diagnosed with PTSD and, you know, she's like, you know, I think you're experiencing this trauma. And so I, on my own came home and read more about PTSD. And so I would catch myself losing time and I would sit with it for a moment. And I started breathing I said, okay, Stephanie, there's something going on here. There's something you need right now that your body tells you you're safe enough to process and it wants to remember. So let's remember. And all of these memories, like the ones I told you about earlier, started flooding back. I didn't remember any of that at this point. And they were very vivid to the point where like my body physically hurt in the places that my mom hit me. I was experiencing the physical and emotional pain. And I, I would tell myself, I'm like, Stephanie, it's okay. You were a kid and that wasn't right. No one should treat you that way. It's okay if you're sad. It's okay if you're angry. And I just gave myself permission. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a real therapist. I was just reading this research and I was learning about what my body was doing. And I was experimenting with how to respond to that. And it was working. I was really lucky. I don't think that's normal. I think people should have like guided, educated, trained professionals to do this with. I got lucky, I think. Um, and we, and we're lucky too, that we have a marriage counselor who worked with a lot of trauma patients before he became her clients before he became a marriage counselor. And so our marriage counseling is more than just marriage counseling. It's really just couples group counseling kind of. So like, I, I, I was able to get myself to the point where I could, I could actually deal with it with like trained licensed professionals, but I started researching constantly about abuse about trauma. I learned big words like informed consent. And that, I think, you know, the first place I applied that was the rape. Well, I did not give informed consent. Like I could never, and I still sometimes struggle with the idea that like, I did say no, but I was there. So that was, it was some kind of implied consent, maybe, but I never gave informed consent. Never. At any time, did I agree to any of this? After we had our daughter, like when we finally got pregnant, I remember holding her and looking at her and this click went off in my head. And I was like, you are more than a vagina. <laughs> You're more than your reproductive organs. You are so powerful. And I want you to know your power. And then it hit me. I can't teach her her power until I learn my power. 
if I want her to do that, I have to do that first. So what do I have to do to get there? I I started asking myself, okay, Stephanie, I'm going to be the mother that I deserved and that Belen deserves, my oldest daughter. And I'm going to be everything I want her to be so that she knows how to be it. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just kept reading research and I knew what not to do in parenting. And that was just as helpful really as what to do. And I, I have this really neat ability. It's a blessing and a curse where I can empathize with people to a very sincere and real degree. We're like, when she was crying, I could tell immediately she feels hungry. I could feel her hunger. I could feel her sadness. And I discovered I was a really good at this mom thing, <laughs> you know, because I had this really cool ability. But I also realized like, I like psychology. I am really good at feeling other people's feelings too. You know, I can tell when someone's sad because of shame. I can tell when they're feeling shame versus like sorrow. I can tell when they're, they feel hopeless. Like I feel that. Um, I translate that for my motherhood. And I, I thought if I can do this, then that must be a gift from God, right? We're still framing things in the Mormon context. So what would God have me do with that? And I was like, well, then I, I need to help people. And if I'm going to help people, I need education. But the Mormon church is still telling me that my most important role is being a mother, which is starting to really feel conflicting to me because I'm looking at my children and I'm thinking, that's not the most important part of who you are. I would never want you to grow up and think the only only purpose in life is to be a mother. It'd be great if you have children. Having children is wonderful. It's a really amazing part of life that can allow us to grow and to to really experience joy on another level because it's just indescribable when it's good it's good right um so i i thought i'd start with the mormon church because that's my frame of reference and i thought okay if i'm going to be a part of this i'm going to know every piece of it and i'm going to figure out why i'm only a mother so i started learning more about who Jesus was and what Jesus taught. And the more I learned about the Bible, which the Warren church professes to believe in, I compared it to what the church was doing. It was a conflict. I remember thinking this is not the God of the, the Bible. This is completely different. And in that time frame, like Derek decides he wants to stop paying tithing. So we're supposed to pay 20% of our income in order to keep our temple recommend in order to like, just be a full and faithful member of church to say in God's good graces, they call it fire insurance. If you don't pay your tithing, you'll burn at the last days. So Derek comes to me and he's like, Stephanie, I've studied this out and I don't want to pay tithing. And here's why. And I want you to do the same thing. You don't have to agree with me. You just look at these things. He gave me like scripture references, things that Joseph Smith had said when he was organizing the church about tithing and I prayed and I was like, okay, God, Derek's wrong. (laughs) He thinks we need to stop paying tithing. So I'm going to entertain him. I'm going to read all this stuff. And I want you to tell me how to tell him he's wrong. (laughs) It took me three days. I synthesized all that information. I came out on the other side and I was like, oh my God, Derek, you're right. We're not paying tithing anymore. I support you in that. I was seeing like, like the way they treat gay people. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not love. I learned more about the priesthood ban and like how black people weren't allowed to be full, like faithful members. And at some point, Brigham Young, one of the founding fathers of the church, if you will, he actually sold a black woman to Joseph Smith as a slave for all of eternity. And that made me angry. And so I'm beginning to see that I can't support this church and I want to leave. And I come to Derek and I say, finally say, I realize the temple ceremony is not God's ceremony. I like it's changed from when Joseph Smith originated it. It mimics a lot of the Mason rituals, uh, Freemasons. And uh, I decided I want to take off my my garment. And I go to and I tell Derek, and he's like flabbergasted because I have not told him any of this. And meanwhile, he's been holding it in that he wants to leave or that he's been drifting apart? Yes. I've been going to church with the kids by myself. I've been like teaching Sunday school. I've been trying to change things. I'm like, if I don't like this, I'll just change it and make it the kind of organization I can take my kids to. Right. It wasn't working. 
So I come to him and when I tell him I'm taking off my garment, that's the end. Like I can't go back to church after that. And he's shocked. And he's like, why? And I, you know, I tell him and he's like, I don't believe the church is true. And I don't want to go back. Even though I was taking my garment off and, and I was feeling the same thing, it really felt like a punch to my gut because our entire relationship was sitting around the church. You know, it's the whole reason we were married, like everything that we had done, kids, everything was just completely church oriented. And it was really crippling for both of us. I think we didn't know how to connect anymore. And I learned feminism. I learned how to take the things that had happened to me. And I used to have this motto, like focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. And I, I feel like that was limiting because then we focus on controlling what we can control. And, and sometimes that's toxic. We over control in some areas. So I learned to figure out how to accept the things that I can't control. And then I can reinvent myself from minute to minute. If I don't like who I am right now, I can be someone different in five minutes from now. But Derek was getting increasingly angry and we were really having a hard time connecting. And I was using the Mormon tools I was trying to use to fix it. I was giving him free time. He would come home from work and I'd say, why don't you go with your friends? And so I was doing all the parenting alone and I felt completely emotionally cut off from him. And I, I was so unhappy and suddenly like I started considering divorce and I was like, well, if everything I believed about the Mormon church is wrong, then everything I believe about divorce is wrong. So I was like, how are kids coping with divorce? Like, how should I be treated in a relationship? What is love really? And I went to Derek and I said to him, I got a bunch of books on marriages. I started reading John Gottman's research. I was trying to be perfect for Derek and not sharing any of my feelings for him. So he, he honestly, I don't think he really knew how unhappy I was. I think it finally, we finally had to talk about it because he found a book and, and he's like, why are you reading these marriage books? Are you unhappy or something? And he kind of chuckled because he thought I was just doing it for the heck of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm miserable. And he was like, what? It came to a head because he had been gone all weekend again. And I, I went to him and I was like, after the kids were in bed, I was like, Derek, I'd like to find a way that you could decompress with us as a family. Like, I want to help you decompress. And he said the meanest thing he's ever said to me. He said something about how I wasn't fun to be around and why would he want to be around me? And I ran away and I cried and I was like, okay, that's it. That's the end for me. And so I went back and I said, you know what? I'm making an appointment with a marriage counselor. I'm going to email you the details. If you want to show up, that's up to you, but I can't live like this anymore. And I can't promise you if you don't show up that I want to stay. And so I made that first appointment and uh, sent him the details, got a sitter. He showed up and he's made every appointment since then. And we started really addressing like our shared toxicity, like the things that we brought into our relationship that wasn't helping either one of us. You know, it's not all Derek, like, he was explosively angry, but I was holding him back so much because I couldn't let myself feel safe with him, even though like he's never hurt me. The anger was a signal to me that I could be hurt. And I was just not willing to be vulnerable and completely open. And then, I mean, of course, like I've been holding on to trauma, you know, and so I needed a good outlet for that. And so I think traditional marriage counseling ends like you, you have a goal, you set a goal, you, you achieve that goal and you move on with your life. We've been in marriage counseling for three years <laughs> and we're probably going to be in it longer. And I think our marriage counseling counseling is less, I mean, there's a lot of like how we can change the culture of a relationship, but we're also like working on overcoming the conditioned gender roles we got from our upbringing in our Mormon church. We're working on like our individual traumas from like our family of origins and we're working on like being a part of the other person's healing, which has been really beneficial for us. And I think that's kind of a unique experience in marriage counseling. Because from what I understand, it doesn't usually work like that. Yeah, 
it's, it sounds like you are both doing the work, but you're doing the work together and you both understand it, you know, because of the upbringing, you know, you guys can relate to one another and yeah, that's, I mean, it is fascinating. I don't think there is a wrong, a right or wrong way to do yeah. therapy. Um, and it sounds like your therapist, you know, really sees benefit in you guys processing these things together. And I'm a huge proponent for marriage therapy or couples therapy. I think every single couple, even if you feel like you are absolutely doing wonderful, um, I think it's great to get a tune-up, as I like to call it. I totally agree. Yeah, talk about the difficult stuff. Anthony and I talk about difficult stuff all of the time. Um, And it's what helps the relationship to, to grow. Even on like the most basic, like let's say we had the perfect upbringings, like we still have different upbringings and we have to learn, like we're both, everybody's speaking a different emotional language and that marriage counseling really helps you learn the other person's language so that you can have those difficult conversations. So you can like, I think disagreeing in marriage is healthy. I want to be married to someone I can disagree with, but I need to learn how to do that in a way that's connecting and not disconnecting, you know? Absolutely. So we... We, through marriage counseling, like, and through like my own research and my own work, I've realized that my empowerment is based on what I get for myself. Like, I can't wait for Derek to give me permission. So like last year, um, during the pandemic, I was with the kids and I was going to start school, but you know, that was a convenient excuse not to. Right. So this year, like I have been looking at that, that psychology program at Penn State for a while. Um, I like that it's online. I like that, like, I can still be a mom and, you know, manage all of that without having to get childcare because childcare is expensive, <laughs> but I didn't really believe I was going to get in, you know, I didn't, I have like my undergrad GP was like a 3.5. Cause I, that one semester where everything went down South for me and I, I, um, I had to cope with that. Like my grades really tanked that semester and it really brought me down. I didn't know that 3.5 is a pretty decent GPA. So <laughs> I went into this, like calling, calling Penn State admission department, like, so my GPA is only a 3.5. <laughs> like, is it still okay for me to apply? And I think the person they're in, like, was like, what did you say? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, I think you're okay. <laughs> I think you're okay. So I had this, I had this mentality that I'm just going to go after it. And let like the insecurity and the the negative self-talk, like I, like I can't make it go away. I haven't figured out yet, like the proper approach for it to never be there, but I figured out that I can fight back against it and I can, I can push back. And so like, I'm just running at like these things that I want head on. So I got into school, I got into Penn State super excited. I just finished my first semester with a 4.0 and I was so proud of myself, you know, because I have ADD. I have like two kids. I have a husband with a really demanding job. And my goal was to just finish and not turn anything in late. <laughs> like, that was my goal. And I did better than that. And it's been really empowering because I realized over the course of the semester, like I'm not getting these grades because that's just what happens. I I might be smart. Like that was the first realization. And then like in November, I was like, Hey, Derek, do you think I'm as smart as you? (laughs) He looked at me, he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, do you think, do you think it's possible? Like that I'm just as smart as you are? Because, you know, again, sapiosexual to me, he's the most amazing, smartest person I've ever known. Like if I could be as smart as him, then damn, like, like I'm doing pretty good. And he's like, of course I wouldn't be married to a dummy. Like, but I was like, things shifted for me. And just like the action of like pushing myself forward, even though I don't believe I can do it somewhere, like I'm going to prove myself wrong and trying it has been so empowering. Like I'm leaving the end of this year with this sense of like, I am valuable. Like I am more than a reproductive system. I'm more than a mom. I I have something wonderful in my brain that I can share and I can learn, I can grow and I can leave something good in this world beyond children. And that's been really cool. That's huge. I mean, your story just 
from beginning to end, you have been through so much. And yeah, like I said in the beginning, I was sure that there was a lot of growth. Yep, that's <laughs> there is a crap ton of growth in this story and all of the circumstances you know, that you've had in your life and how, I mean, you just overcome and overcome and overcome every single time. And, you know, now it sounds like you, you actually believe that you're worthy of overcoming. Yeah. And that feels like a huge victory. And like, this is new. This is why I was crying earlier. Like, like, you know, I'm angry that no one saw potential in me before. I'm angry that like, there is a world that still exists that women are still a part of that. They're not allowed to think that they can be scientists that they're not allowed. Like they don't even have access to information that would even imply that they could do something beyond birthing children. And I'm angry for that. And I'm very much ready to burn bras and fight the patriarchy. Like, over the whole week. <laughs> but I don't know that I can change all of that, but if, if I can meet one woman who has felt like that or feels that way and feels trapped and show her that she can find the door and that more importantly, she has the power to open the door and walk through it, then I would do all of that over again. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for thank coming you. on and sharing your story and yeah, I mean, I know I didn't talk much this whole time. No, again, I'm just <laughs> sitting there with my mouth hanging wide open, um, just taking it all in. Thanks for letting me share it. I don't think I've ever sat down and talked about it from beginning to end like that. It's ever. huge. It feels really like, it actually does feel like I've accomplished something, even though like I've never looked at it like that. Like, it really is cathartic. Well, I can't wait for you to listen back to it because that's, I think, also going to be pretty powerful. Oh, my God. Oh, I can't even. Oh, that, that sounds really hard. <laughs> you can prepare mentally before you do it and, you know, have support. And But no, I, I think you'll hear how how powerful you really are. I think that's what you'll hear. That's what I hear. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, too. That's really cool. Absolutely. Well, I guess I'm going to wrap it up here. I know this is going to be a, a bit longer of an episode, but again, I, you know, I just think it's extremely, extremely inspiring. And um, yeah, you're going to do great things. I'm excited for you. Thank you, bestie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will end it here and wander with you soon. Mm -hmm.